Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, No More Guilt Trips. No More Guilt Trips. Anybody appreciate that, uh, that title? 1 Kings 17, 18. And often when something stressful happens, when something goes wrong, we sometimes look for someone else to blame, right? We look for someone to blame for it. A lot of Bears fans right now are blaming a kicker right now for, for the, uh, the Eagles still being in and not the Bears, right? A lot of them are blaming the kicker. Although, he, to be fair to him, he scored more points than the rest of the team combined, right? He did, he did more than the rest of the team did. So that's, uh, that's one thing. We, we might be doing the same thing after tonight. Saint Nick could be the goat, you know. He could be, not, not the goat, but a goat, I should say. Uh, he could be booed after today. That's how fast things change. We could be blaming someone after today. When something bad happens, human, it's human nature to lash out, to play the blame game, right? Uh, that's just, common and I was trying to think of something to happen and I haven't told the farm story in a while so I remember something happened on the farm some of you may have heard this years ago it was we had just built a new silo and it was about 60 to 70 60 feet high but then with the dome on top it was 70 feet high and I was six at the time and the new there was a new silo with a concrete with the metal rings around it you know one of those real tall upright ones and this was back in 1967, so it's a long time ago. And I was six years old, and my dad said, Chucky, I want you to come up, climb up, because the silo was full. He got it full of silage, chopped up corn, and he said, the silo's full. I want you to climb up and help me, because I need you to push the levers. He's, he was getting the auger going up there, you know, the, that would go around and shoot the silage out, out of the silo down the chute. He says, I want you to come up and push some levers. So in about you know, 20 minutes, I want you to come on up and, and help me out. I said, okay, no problem. And so the, la- the silo on the outside, there was a ladder up the outside. And most of the time now they build them with a, a, a protective covering. So if you slipped, you would grab behind you and you wouldn't fall. But this was just a ladder. I don't know why they didn't put one on this one, but they didn't. But we wouldn't even use that anyway because there were also these metal rings around holding the, the, the concrete slabs in place and so we would usually just grab the rings and climb up the silo so when my dad said to do that I said okay so I started I went up and I started climbing up I didn't even use the ladder I just started grabbing these these rings and going up uh, 60 feet up now I know that sounds crazy to some of you uh, overprotective parents (laughs) can you imagine that today you know it's insane right but country kids are tough the ones who survive but anyway uh so about, about, I start climbing up, and about halfway up, about 30 feet up, and I notice my little brother Todd is following me. He saw me go up the side, and he decides to follow me. And I look down, he's four, and I'm six, and I'm like, Todd, go back down, go back down. He wouldn't listen to me, never listened to me, still doesn't listen to me. And uh, he just kept following me, following me. And I remember I was there, go back down. I was like doing this with my foot, you know, you know, <laughs> you know trying to scare him. And he didn't listen. So I said, okay, I'm just going to keep on going up, you know. And uh, so I kept going up, and all of a sudden we heard this screaming. My mom noticed that Todd was following me. She, Todd was supposed to be with her, but she, you know, she keeping an eye on him like farm kids you know and so he's she sees she starts screaming chucky bring it back down 
what are you doing? Why are you taking him? I didn't tell him to come up. He won't listen to me. I do this again. Kick my foot. He won't go down. Yeah. So, uh, so my mom is screaming and screaming. Bring him back right down. I'm like, I'm almost there. I'll just take him in. You know. And I. So I. We. We kept on going. My mom's freaking out down there. You can imagine. And and I'm. And when you get to all the way to the top where there's a little opening. There's a little entrance at the very top. And I get up there. And Todd's right beside me now. And I said, Okay, Dad, I'm here. He says, where are you? I go, I'm here. Can I get us in? He goes, where? And he's looking in the chute. You know, the, 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 there was a, there was a, I should have said that. Uh, the outside had a ladder, but there was an inside chute where you would shoot the silage down, and there was rungs and a ladder going up, and it was protected. If you slipped, there was a cement wall around it. So if you started to slip, you just put your hand back, and you could save yourself. And and that's where he expected me to come up. He didn't make that clear. He just said, come up. So so he was like looking down the chute. I don't see you. I go, I'm outside. He goes, what are you doing outside? You know, that's dangerous. You know, get Get down, get back down and come up the chute. I go, what? I'm right here. Can I come in? He goes, get, you know, get down and come up the chute. And I, I'm only six, but I still was wondering, why is it safer to climb down than to come into the, you know, the dead entrance? I just couldn't quite understand that. But, but, okay, but I didn't argue with my dad. You know, you don't argue with the, the dad on the farm. You know, trust me, there's a milking hose. But anyway, we won't go into that. All right. So, uh, so we start climbing down and my mom was like, what are you doing? Go in, go in. She's screaming, shrieking, and, and I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm just climbing down, and Todd's going down with me, and, and I'm like, I can't, he won't, you know, I can't, and then we finally get to the bottom, my mom was like, he grabs Todd, oh, it's the baby, you know, and who cares about Chucky, who's only six, you know? I was never part of this equation somehow. Uh, I was a man already, apparently, so, so, She's like, why didn't you take him into the side? I go, I tried. Dad wouldn't let us in, you know? And, and cause she's freaking on me. Why'd you take him up? I didn't. He followed me. Why didn't you take him in? I, and she's like freaking on me, right? And I was like, I couldn't. Dad wouldn't let me in. He said it was too dangerous. And my mom said, it's more dangerous to climb down 60 feet than it is to go into a little opening. You know, I go, it's what he said, mom, you know, and, and so then she runs over to the chute and starts screaming up the chute, you know, to my dad. It's like this intercom system, right? And it's tunnel, and, uh, and she's like, why didn't you let Todd in? He goes, I didn't know Todd was there. <laughs> she goes, well, you should have known. And he goes, you're the one watching her. You can imagine what's just going on, you know, you should have known. They're like going at it, and my dad's climbing down now, boom, 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 down the ladder, and the silage is falling, and, and he comes out of here, and, and, and they're like fighting about it, fighting about it. And, and the good thing was, they weren't mad at me anymore. I was out of the equation. Now they're yelling at each other. That's all I cared about. I was no longer in trouble. But that's often what happens during a stressful situation. Something shocking happens. We fall into the blame game, right? You can all relate to that story, can't you, somehow? Not the 60 feet and 5-year-old, but, but uh, the, uh, the, you can all relate to, you know, fighting over something the kids have done and blaming each other. It, it's easy to fall into that, which we're going to see in 1 Kings 17. And just a quick review, Elijah has been sent to a starving widow to save him, right, to feed him. Uh, there's been this amazing miracle. They're fed miraculously. The flour, the oil is there. They're going to survive this, this, this terrible famine. Uh, they're being blessed. Everything's going great. And they lived happily ever after, right? Remember we talked about that? No, the sun dies. 
Her, the widow's only son dies. And, and we're going to see in next week, it ultimately turns out to be a blessing too because it resulted in saving faith for the woman and sanctifying faith for Elijah, preparing him for the Mount Carmel challenge he was facing. But we're going to see that she is so shocked today. She is so crushed. Her, the woman's first response was flesh, not faith. And I think we're all going to be able to relate to this. Some very important lessons for every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing us all through many stressful things this week. Maybe even this morning, some very, very stressful things. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word and and that you would help us to take a step forward, just like the woman. If someone here hasn't put their faith in you yet, that they would find saving faith today. And for the rest of us who have that, we would find sanctifying faith taking the next step forward in our faith journey. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick it up here. 1 Kings 17, and we'll do verse 17, 18, and 19 today. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Remember last week we talked about that one? Verse 18, she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Get to the rest of that next time, next week. Don't miss next week. But we see that the woman blames three people. That's why I wrote, called this No More Guilt Trips. She blames three people. And I think we often do the same thing when we face a crisis in our life. The first one she blames is, what do you want? What, what, what's going on, man? Right? Man of God, man. She blames Elijah. She blames a man, a person, the first of all. That's the first person she blames. She blames Elijah. In her intense grief, she forgets that her son would have already been dead if it weren't for Elijah. How would he have been dead? Would have starved to death. She and both the woman and the son would have already been dead, starved to death. They would have been dead a long time ago if not for Elijah, right? But she forgets about that. So the widow goes after Elijah, the man, the man of God. And this is uh, something that happens to pastors a lot <laughs> let me tell you uh we get the blame so oftentimes we we often spend countless hours ministering trying to help somebody uh trying to save a marriage and then when it fails guess who gets blamed we do why did you change my husband you know why couldn't you make my wife do what i wanted you know, yeah we get blamed it's crazy but it, but it happens so often it's probably happened to you you're trying to help somebody they're a friend in crisis. You encourage them to pray, to turn to God, to seek his help. And then, then they, when it crashes, they lash out at you. you know, I'm sure we've all experienced that. And lash out at your God. The same thing happens all the time. Which brings us to the second person she blames. The second person she blames is God. She says, man, God. Of God. And she's talking about Jehovah now. She's a Baal worshiper. She's talking about God, the real God, right? And so often that's what people do is they blame God. Now, this woman wasn't even a follower of Jehovah yet, all right? Don't miss next week. But she wasn't a follower yet. 
She's probably still she's probably seeking, but she's probably still worshiping Baal, the false god, at this time. Yet when something bad happens, what does she do? She blames God. She blames Jehovah. Like so many do today. There's so many people out there, and you know what I'm talking about. As a pastor, I hear it all the time. I've heard everything. They never give God a thought. They never attend church. But until something bad happens, then it's all God's fault. Right? And we were like that, too, before we became Christians. We were the same way, right? When, and often, it's very clear whose fault it really is. Not always. Sometimes you can't explain what's going on, God, what, what is God doing. But a lot of times when God gets the blame, it's pretty easy to see who's to blame. Very, very easy. Proverbs 19.3 says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that the truth? Think of our own life. Think of the people that we know. It, I've, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. People are mad at God. Why did God do this to X, Y, and Z? And, and sometimes it's really easy to see why it happened. It had nothing to do with God. And it's things, you know, God didn't tell the person to drive drunk, didn't tell the person to take drugs. You don't know where I'm going. You can connect the dots to some very wrong behavior, and it's God had nothing to do with it, even, even though that person was warned many, many times, and they did not listen. Did not listen. They still blame God. Sometimes it's easy to connect the dots, you know, to why something happens to someone, and it's not God's fault. But even if not, we still can't blame God. Even if we can't say, well, why they weren't driving drunk, they didn't take drugs, you know, something really easy to see. Uh, even when it's not, we still can't blame God. And, and people will say, and I've thought these thoughts many times, why did this happen to me? Why did it happen to my loved one, my friend? It's not fair. They didn't deserve this. You ever hear that? You ever say it? <laughs> we do, don't we? We, it, we? They didn't deserve this. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's what really we often say and we hear, and there's even books written about that. Uh, there's no such thing. There's no such person. No such person. No one is good. No, no one is good. We all deserve, every one of us, if we understand God's word, we deserve death and hell, every one of us. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've all sinned and we have no business being in God's presence or ever thinking we're ever going to get into heaven and expecting anything good up from it at any time. And, and that's, that's the fact biblically. Most, think, most people think, I'm not that bad. I deserve God's help here on earth, and I deserve to go to heaven someday. Isn't that what, remember thinking that way before you became a Christian? Isn't that what most people think? I'm not that bad. I, God should treat me good here, treat me well here, and take me to heaven someday, and they expect that. But Romans 3.23 says just the opposite. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And when I'm witnessing to someone, sharing about the gospel with someone, the hardest thing is help them understand how sin separates us from God and how serious it is and how we deserve nothing from God because of that sin. That's the starting point to coming to faith is understand we deserve nothing. We deserve hell. 
We deserve punishment. It's only his grace that, that it's only his grace that we're not all dead right this second and that we're not all in hell for eternity right now. It's only his grace. Because we have earned that. We deserve that. And it's so hard to help people understand. And a lot of times I use something from evangelism, evangelism explosion. I know Chuck probably uses the same thing out on, out on the street ministry there. Where I'll, I'll say, how many times, I'm trying to help them understand how serious it is. How many times, Chuck, you probably use the same thing. How many times do you think you sin a day? I, I don't know. I go, you know. I don't know if I'm not many. I'm like, and I'm like, like, you know, yeah, I, I know I probably sin a hundred times before I even get to church. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, 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 we all know how much we sin as Christians and we need to keep going to God. But, but most people who aren't Christians, they don't get it. And I'll, but I'll try to time down and say, do you think you do something wrong once a day? Well, yeah, I guess, I guess once a day. They'll, they'll begrudgingly even give me once a day, you know, which is hilarious, right? So then I'll say, then I'll say, okay, so let's say you sin once a day. How many times in a year is that? Oh, 365 times. Ooh, okay. But, you know, still not too affected by that. And I say, okay, so what if they weren't sins? Let's look at it this way. What if you got a traffic ticket once a day? Okay. And how many, you took that 300, at the end of the year, you took 365 track tickets before a judge. What would happen to you? Oh, oh, I'd be in jail. Yeah, you'd be in jail. I'd lose my life. Yeah, you'd be licensed. Yeah, big trouble, big trouble. They get that. I go, that's what it's like with God. Dang, connection. And you times that by 70 years. Times it by 70 years, times 365, and say you have a couple bad days, you might even sin twice in a day. Wink, wink, you know. And uh, so, uh, so you get the picture, and then all of a sudden, they, that's what it's like going before God. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all deserve much worse than we get. It's only by God's grace that we are not dead right this second and in hell for eternity. And that's why we can never blame God no matter what happens. Because whatever happens, it is our fault. It's the fault. Suffering is here because of our sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. It's because of our sin. Adam and Eve, and we've taken the baton and we kept running with it. It's, it's our fault for all suffering, all death, anything bad is our fault. We have to own this. So this woman is way off base. She attacks Elijah and God. And how does he respond? Verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him in her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Elijah didn't defend himself. He didn't defend God. He took the child in his arms. And next week we're going to see the rest of the story, what he did. All right? Don't miss it. But this is a really good lesson for us. I'm speaking to you in a church and telling you the real background, you know. But I'm not going to tell someone who just lost their child, who's freaking out on me and on God. No, this is a good lesson for us. He didn't let her have it. He didn't call down fire from heaven, which he could have done. Wait, wait until next chapter. He showed compassion. He did the most loving thing that he could do. He picked up her dead son. He picked up her dead son. And this is a really big deal, as we will see next week. Because he wasn't allowed to touch a dead body. 
He made himself unclean. Remember, Elijah is a type of Jesus Christ. Don't miss next week. Elijah shows us how to respond to hurting people, even when they are irrational, even when they're attacking us, even when they're saying crazy things about God. He showed us how to respond to someone. I remember 30 years ago now, I was, I was uh, pastoring, and there was a woman in my church, she was a widow, and she had a son who, uh, she was an older widow, and she had a son who had a heart attack, almost died. He came within a breath of dying. And he wasn't a Christian, and she said, Chuck, please come to the hospital. I've tried to tell him about Jesus, but I need help. I need you to come and tell him again. And, 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 ju- and just get him ready for eternity, because we don't know if he's going to make it, and I just really need to talk to him, share the gospel with him. So I get to the hospital, I'll never forget, I walk in, and he's in the bed there, and all hooked up, and and uh, his wife was sitting next to him, hovering over there. And I started to talk to him and find out where he was spiritually. And he wasn't a Christian. And I encouraged him. I said, your mom really wants me to talk to you about how to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and she wants you, you to be ready. You had a very close call. And she wants you to be ready because she wants to know she's going to spend forever with you in heaven someday. And his wife freaked out. I mean, she went berserk. How dare you come in here and talk about him dying? How dare you talk about God? If God is so great, why did he almost kill my husband? And she just went crazy. Crazy. It's like watching Dance Moms or something. But anyway, it's just crazy. And I didn't, I, you know, I can argue. I'm pretty good at it. But I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. I just stayed really quiet. And she said, that's right, you don't have an answer, do you? You can't answer any of my questions, can you? And I said, I I do have an answer. I have an answer for you, but I don't think you're ready for it yet. She said, that's right, and I never will be. I never will be. Now, I could have crushed this woman's ignorant arguments. They were really ignorant. She didn't know what she was talking about. I could have taken the Bible and just won the argument very easily. Very, very easily. I could have given her biblical truth and let her have it. But I didn't. I calmly said goodbye to her. I calmly said a few words of comfort to her son who was, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, very uh, embarrassed. (laughs) He wanted me to come too, you know, so he was very embarrassed. Uh, and then I uh, left the room, walked out with his mortified mom, <laughs> who walked out just, I'm so sorry, Chuck, I'm so sorry you did what I asked and what he wanted, but I'm so sorry I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, please, oh, you know, and she was just mortified. And I remember getting on the elevator when I said, Listen, it's okay. His wife is scared. She's terrified. Imagine not being a Christian, not having Christ, not knowing when your next breath was going to come, not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. Imagine living like that. Imagine the terror, the terror of knowing that any instant you could be lost for eternity, not knowing where you're going to go, we know where, but not knowing. She's just scared. 
And she's like, oh. I go, she's just scared. So keep loving her. Keep showing her the love of Jesus Christ. And just pray for her. Pray that God will get through to her. Several years later, the woman came into church and she said, look at this card. It's from my daughter-in-law. And it was a religious card. She didn't become a Christian yet. She wasn't like, oh, I see the light. But she purposely, for the first time ever, gave her mother-in-law a religious card. And she goes, isn't that amazing? I said, it's amazing. God was starting to soften her heart. And there was hope for this woman now. Because I didn't call fire down from heaven. Right? But I don't know what happened because I ended up moving and lost touch. And I don't know. I hope I see her in heaven someday. But the point is, that's how you reach somebody. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Keep waiting. And sometimes it's tricky. They can say some really crazy things. But it's better to let them cool off. Let them cool off. Give God time to work. Give that pain time to work its purpose in their heart. And when they surrender, when they soften, then we speak the truth in love. Then we speak the truth in love. Elijah didn't let her have it. And it's a good thing. Why? Because she was already beating herself up. He didn't have to let her have it. She was already beating herself up. She was really blaming herself. She feels responsible, which brings us to the third person that's being blamed, and that's self. Look at verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This is usually our first impulse, isn't it? When something bad happens, what do we first think? God is punishing me for something I did wrong. I've heard it all. It's just the first thought. And sometimes it is. Sometimes God is judging us for a sin. If we're not, not a Christian yet, we can be judged for sin, and sometimes it is. And some, but if we're a Christian, we're not judged. We are disciplined. We're disciplined. It's a very big difference. We're disciplined in God's love. God does not punish Christians. He disciplines his children. Just like we discipline our children, we do it in love. He disciplines us in love. But it is important when we face a trial to reflect. It's important to reflect and say, what is God trying to say to me? What is he trying to refine in my life? How is he, if we're not a Christian, how is God trying to get my attention? But as a Christian, how is he trying to refine me? David said in Psalm 119.71, he said, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Affliction, God sends to, to teach us his word and to teach us how to live out his word. And sometimes when God, something happens in our life, it's easy to connect the dots. We get drunk and we get, because we're drunk we get into a fight. Or we have sex with someone we shouldn't have sex with. Or we drive and and something bad happens while we're driving and we get arrested. And you, you can connect the dots. I'm just using an easy one, right? Sometimes it's easy to connect the dots and it's obvious that God wants us to stop something. So he's allowed that consequence in our life to get our attention and get us to stop it. And when that happens, we have to confess the sin. 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. It's very important to confess, to go to God in confession. And it's important for us to humbly approach God for his mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16, I hope you have this one memorized. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. After we've messed up. That's the time to go to the throne of mercy. Ask for mercy, which is forgiveness. Ask for grace to help us stop whatever is hurting other people. Whatever is hurting our relationship with God. Ask for his mercy and grace. And so often, we don't go into God's presence at that time. We're ashamed to. We're ashamed to go into his presence. And so as a result, we, we wait till we clean ourselves up. Can't, we don't go right away. But what happens while we're waiting to clean ourselves up? Usually, we don't clean anything up. We just make a bigger mess. The time to go is when we're, when we're struggling, when we're, we've just fallen. When we can't clean ourselves up because it's impossible. God wants us to come right away. When you have a kid, when do you want them to come to you? When they just do something wrong or when it's multiplying and multiplying and multiplying? You want them to come right away so you can help them. And it's the same with God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, it is true, going back to the suffering part, it's true that ultimately all suffering, remember we talked about this, all suffering is because of our sin. It's because, it's, it is our fault. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. I'm going to save part two for a minute. The wages of sin is death. We should never blame God. It is Adam and Eve's fault who started it, and it's our fault for carrying it on. It is our fault. It's our curse. But having said that, there, that doesn't mean there's always a clear connection between our sin and the effect. There's not always an easy connect the dots, cause and effect for something bad that happens to us. We can't always do that. Sometimes it's true, we can. Like I said, you get drunk, drive, crash, you know, easy. But sometimes there's no connection. We can't make a connection. But we still, so that's why it's important that we, if there's not a clear connection, there's no conviction, it's important that we don't blame ourselves like this woman was doing. This woman blamed herself. She blamed her sin. Maybe it was Baal worship she was talking about, we don't know. Maybe she had the child out of wedlock, we don't know. We don't know what, what, was going on we're not sure what she did but something haunted her and she was sure it was her fault she really was waiting for her whole life for the other shoe to drop she was just she just was blaming herself i we i remember a, a family friend of ours who's they had a, a, a child who had challenges challenges physical and mental challenges and she she finally opened up and shared one time with, with someone in our family. She said, you know what? I smoked pot when I was pregnant with that one. I was smoking pot. And I know it's because I smoked pot that that child has these challenges. Every day she saw that child. She blamed herself. 
for what she saw. Was it true? I don't know. Only God knows the answer to that one, right? We don't know. But it's unlikely that the widow, who was blaming herself, it's unlikely that the widow's sin caused her son's death. How do we know that? Elijah didn't say repent. He didn't say repent, which he says all over the place. To Ahab and the Israelites and everybody. He didn't, he didn't make that connection. He didn't say repent. He didn't do that. So it's unlikely that it was her fault. And she was leaving out one very important option. That God had a positive purpose. which we will see next week. Don't miss it. It will result in her saving faith and Elijah's sanctifying faith. It reminds me of in John when Jesus was ministering in John chapter 9. There was a man born blind. And in verse 1 it says... As he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Some really bad theology there, isn't there? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Said Jesus, it's not always because of sin. Sometimes it is. Connect the dots, repent, make it right, go to God's throne. But sometimes it has nothing to do. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. No more guilt trips. If there's something that we need to make right, make it right. If we're convicted, we can connect the dots, make it right. we got to make it right. But, but there's a lot of unnecessary guilt trips, isn't there? There's a lot of unnecessary guilt trips. Maybe you're carrying unnecessary guilt this morning. Do you always connect the dots? Are you one of those people? <laughs> Most of us are, aren't we? To our own sin or to other people? They must have done something wrong if their kid or this or that happened. It must have, what did they do wrong? Are we one of those people that connect the dots? Judging others, judging ourselves? I remember one time talking about guilt trips, not with this passage, but something else. And a woman came up to me afterward with her husband and said, that was me. I'm always feeling guilty, feeling guilty. And her husband, I'll never forget, he says, yeah, I told her she should get a new job. She should get a job as a tour guide for guilt trips. You know, and, and I was like, you know, and isn't so many of us? Are we carrying unnecessary guilt? I remember when, when Ryan died. I remembered... 
I got a great memory. It's a curse and a blessing. I remember every bad thing I ever did or ever said to that kid. I tortured myself and Kim who had to listen to it. Then God started to work. First, I owned what needed to be, be owned, what needed to be refined in my life. I went to God for his mercy and grace for so many things. And then over time, I began to focus on, because I was able to give it to God, I was able to focus on the good things. The good things that I did as a dad. And I remembered how a year before he died, I had a long talk with him. Because he, it was a tortured relationship. Just once the drugs come in, it just tortures everything. But we had a really long talk and and... He was able to share his pain, and, and I was able to say sorry for a lot of things, and he was able to say, you know, I wish I hadn't done a lot of things. And, and uh, I was able to ask him for forgiveness for a lot of things, and he forgave me. And, and I said, Ryan, I'm sorry I made so many mistakes. And on our face, he said, he said, Dad, you didn't make many. I'm just so glad I got to have that talk. Are you carrying guilt? Are you on a constant guilt trip? I want to encourage you to go to God for his mercy and grace. Whether you can connect the dots or not, go to God for his mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And after we go to God, then go make it right. If you can make something right, make it right if you can. Sometimes you can't, but try if you can make it right. The blessing of being a Christian is, is we, we, can, we have a place to turn. Because we all make so many mistakes. We have a place to turn to God for his mercy and grace. When, when something bad happens, even when it's our fault, we still have a place to turn. That's the blessing that we have. And maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet. And you're carrying guilt. And you're carrying shame. And you've never put it down at the cross. But you can do that today. You can put it at the cross. Even if you can't fix anything in your life. Anything. It's too late. You can still put it at the cross. And God can make it right in eternity. Somehow, some way. Romans 6.23, I read the beginning. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You don't have to take the wages, the payment for sin. You can give it to Jesus. He already took it on the cross. 
And as a result, you can receive the gift, the gift of life. Let's pray. And while we go to this time of prayer, once again, we always have a prayer team up in the corner that if you need someone to pray with before, during this time, during the worship, at the end, afterward, throughout lunch, whatever, if you need someone, that team is, is always there. How is God speaking to us? Maybe you're here today and you're, you've never come to the cross. Maybe you're still carrying a huge load of sin, of shame, of pain, of regret, of fear. But you can leave that at the cross right now. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can put down that load at the cross and receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ right now. It's a simple prayer of faith. God, I want to walk away from this load of sin I want to leave it behind me. I believe Jesus died on that cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead for me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you are going to walk out of here a different person than you walked in. You are no longer carrying sin and shame. You have now received the gift of life. You're going to live a brand new life in Jesus. It starts this second and it will go out throughout all of eternity. It will never end. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've received that gift of life. Maybe you're here with a family member or friend. Tell me on the way out. Send me a text, email. Let somebody know because we're going to be so excited. And we're going to help you grow spiritually. We're going to encourage you in your new life in Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us this morning? Maybe there's something we need to make right. Maybe there's something that we need to go into God's throne of mercy and grace and let it go.
Maybe it's been something haunting you for so long that you, it's so deep that you need to talk to someone. Maybe the Holy Spirit would put someone on your heart or mind. It could be me, Cam, anybody, but we'll, but we'll connect you with someone, someone that you could pray with to break free. Maybe you're going through a trial and you've been blaming yourself or blaming somebody else, maybe even blaming God. But the prayer is to surrender. Say, God, what is your purpose in this trial? What are you trying to do in my life and in in other people's lives through this trial? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue the work that he is starting through this, that your word this morning. Pray that we wouldn't just forget about it or stuff it, but we would let your Holy Spirit really work. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.